great to be together, brothers and sisters, to worship our Lord together, to fellowship together, to sing together. Every once in a while, a song comes along that you're fairly certain is going to stand the test of time, and we're going to be singing it 10, 15 years from now. I think that song is one of those. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. Our sins are many, but His mercy is more. What a great reminder of uh, who God is and what He has done for us. As we uh, turn our attention to God's Word this morning, uh, I'd like to uh, offer a prayer of my own here to uh, prepare myself and prepare us for the teaching. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your amazing grace and your unfailing love towards us. Thank you for taking our place on the cross. You are truly worthy of all of our worship, all of our energies, all of our lives. Thank you for your great mercy that you have extended to us. Our sins are truly many, but your mercy is far greater. Your mercy is far greater than the darkness in our own lives and the darkness of this world in which we live. And your mercies are new every morning. So we ask that you would let this amazing grace, this unfailing love, this exceeding mercy toward us be the theme of our lives until we die and then for all eternity. And now as we turn our attention to your word, we ask that you open our eyes to see you in new ways. We ask that you would mold our hearts to be in conformity with your will, that you would enable us to live more wisely and graciously in this world. We acknowledge our dependence upon you to be able to understand this word that we will be reading. And we ask that your spirit would open our eyes to understand and to apply for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I certainly would invite you to take out your Bibles this morning and join us along with our study. I think it's always helpful to follow along, plus make sure I'm not going to slip anything by you. You need to make sure I'm being true to the text. Uh, what, I'm going to, what I'd like to do today is set the stage for this morning's study by going back to where we've been so far in the book of Acts. Last week, we looked at Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. Before Jesus leaves, he lays out the next steps of his plan to rescue people from every people and language and tribe and nation. And he says that's going to start in Jerusalem, then extend to Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. The gospel will come as part of God's big story to bring all peoples to himself. Then in Acts 2, we saw how as the, the apostles and other believers were waiting, the Holy Spirit comes upon them in dramatic fashion, drawing attention of those around them. And with the crowd that gathers because of this, Peter preaches about Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done. And Luke records that many people believe in Jesus. Luke says it was about 3,000 people came to the Lord that day. This was the first step in Jesus moving forward with his plan starting in Jerusalem. Today, we're going to look at the last part of chapter 2 in Acts to see the then what? What were the effects? What were the effects of the Spirit's coming with this power? And we're going to look at what was going on on the outside, what was going on on the inside, what was the source of all that, and then we're going to see if we can bring this home to us today. So what I'd like to do is I'm going to read this passage again. Actually, I'm going to start a little sooner. 
I'm going to start in Acts chapter 2, verse 36 to get the context. Peter, this is at the end of Peter's sermon. He has preached to them about Jesus Christ. He has preached to them about what this means that the Spirit is coming, that God is coming down and intervening in history to reach out to them with the gospel. So we're going to pick up Peter's sermon at the end and then get into our passage for today. Starting at verse 36 of chapter 2. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. So, the Spirit comes in power Peter preaches the gospel and many come to him. And what were the effects? What was the outworking of that? Well, we see in verse 42, Luke says, they devoted themselves, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. I believe verse 42, as I reflected on this, Luke sort of gives a summary statement here. And then in the following verses, sort of fills that out. So they devoted themselves first to the apostles' teaching. Well, what was the apostles' teaching? That was God's word. That included the Old Testament scriptures. They didn't know it as the Old Testament. It was the Jewish scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, We know it as the Old Testament now, but they had the Jewish scriptures. So they were teaching from that, which spoke of Jesus. God had opened their eyes. Jesus had opened their eyes to see that everything that was written in the Old Testament was really about him. And so they were preaching Jesus from the Old Testament. They were also preaching Jesus' words to them while he was here, both before his resurrection and afterwards. They were teaching the things that he had taught them. And they were beginning to teach the new revelation that God had promised to give them when the Spirit came. Hence, in verse 43, we see, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. I believe that's the significance of Luke mentioning the wonders and signs. There were miracles. There were amazing things going on here. And he says wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. I'd like you to look for this as we go through the book of Acts. This theme of wonders and signs and miracles comes up. What these are were wondrous and miraculous events whose purpose was to verify that what the apostles were teaching was from God. The purpose of these wonders and signs 
was so that the people who were listening would know that what the apostles were saying were from God. There were lots of people coming and saying, I am the Savior, or here's where you can find life, or here's where you can find truth. And when God brings in the gospel, he brings it in in such a way that there is no mistaking the source of this. It is only God who can do these wonders and signs that he is doing. So the people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the teaching of God that came from the apostles. And Mark says it this way, that God worked with them to confirm the word by the signs that followed. That the signs that God was doing in them were to confirm the word that the apostles were preaching. So what is the apostles' teaching for us today? Well, it's, it's this. It's the Bible. It's the same Old Testament scriptures that they were preaching from, and it is the writings of the apostles. It is the writings of those men that we are studying about right now. As they wrote these things down, God preserved them for us. So that is the apostles' teaching for us today. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, they also devoted themselves, it says in verse 42, to the fellowship, to the fellowship. As I reflected on this, as you read these verses, I came up, I, I made a new word. They were togethering. They were togethering. You see what they were doing together. They were committed to loving one another. They were committed to meeting the needs of one another, even to the point of selling what they had to be able to give to the needs of one another. They didn't have to be told to give. It was almost as if you would have to tell them not to give. Say, no, no, I don't think you should give that. Now, why not? I, need, I have a need. I'm going to give this. They were selling their possessions. They were selling the things that they had, their belongings, and distributing to where there were needs. They were loving one another. They were committed to being together. Not only were they giving, but they were committed to being together. As you see in verse 46, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They were committed to being together, whether it was in the temple, which is where they, were, where they were used to gathering, or whether it was in their homes, multiple homes, they were gathering together. They were togethering. And notice, it's very interesting here, uh, taken aside here to our modern context, I guess, they were, there, there was the, the large group meeting, if you will, like what we're doing here. They were meeting in the temple, but they were also meeting smaller groups. They were meeting in their homes. They were, it wasn't just a home they were meeting in. It was homes that they were meeting in. And I think that's very significant. I believe what we're seeing here is God establishing the pattern for how he would like us to live together as his people. Part of it is to the, devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching. Part of it is devoting ourselves to the fellowship. This idea of fellowship, I uh, it was an interesting word to me as I thought about it. The word means partnership. And the word means partnership or a joint participation, a sharing in common. They were devoted to partnership. And as I was reflecting that, how do we understand the word fellowship? I was trying to think of the difference between, the, in our modern context, the difference between a partner and an employee in a business. Uh, what is an employee in a business? An employee, he has a vested interest in that business because that's his, where he gets his paycheck. But a partner has a piece of himself or herself in that business. They've likely invested something financially. They have a, they have a financial interest in that business. They have a personal interest in that business. As the, 
As the business rises, they rise. As the business falls, they fall. As the uh, business succeeds, they understand or they experience a measure of success. A partner is very different than an employee. And a partner is invested in the success of this endeavor and their fortunes rise or fall with the rise and fall of the success of the business. In the sense, that's what was happening here. They were so invested in one another that their fortunes were tied together, that their, they would rise and fall with one another. If one person was in need, another person over here would sell something to give to them. They, would, they made it a priority for them to be together, for them to, to spend time together in the larger group as well as in small groups from, home, uh, from week to week. And notice that it was day by day they didn't just meet together once on a Sunday and that was it. They were meeting day by day, day by day, on a daily basis they were getting together. They were aware of one another. They were speaking into one another's lives. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. They also, Luke says, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Well, what is this? The immediate understanding of the breaking of bread is they were sharing in what we now know as the Lord's table. Paul talks about this later in, in Corinthians, where this breaking of bread was a, it, the Lord's table is a symbol of what Jesus has done for us. When we break the bread, we remember his broken body for us. And when we drink the cup, we remember the blood that was shed for us. They were breaking their breaking bread together. But also, if you look in verse 46, it says, day by day, attending the temple and breaking bread in their homes. Now, there's, there's a real sense here that this breaking of bread was also sharing meals together. And again, when you look at Paul's instructions in Corinthians about the Lord's table, they really, the church was getting together and sharing in a meal together. They were sitting down and eating together, and as part of that meal, shared in formally what was the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, in communion they were remembering his death on their behalf, and then they were having meals in their homes in communion with one another, in common unity with one another, in community with one another. They were celebrating the Lord's table, remembering his death on their behalf, and then they were living out the reality of that unity that Jesus had given to them in their homes on a day-by-day -day basis. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to, Luke says, the prayers. It's very interesting. We, we tend to read that, as, and they devoted themselves to prayer. Well, that's not what Luke says. He says they devoted themselves to the prayers. This is not just individual prayer, but a real suggestion that there were organized times of prayers, that they were getting together to participate together in the prayers. So the implication here in the text is as they met in the temple, they were praying together. There may have been formal prayers, there may have not, but they were together for the prayers. There was a prayer time. And the implication would be as well as they met in the homes, they were praying together because they were devoted to the prayers. So they devoted themselves. This is what's going on on the outside. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And notice the effects of all of this. In verse 47, Luke says, they were praising God and having favor with all the people. 
They were praising God. There's this upward vertical dimension as they acknowledge God's favor in their lives. As they acknowledged God's grace, they acknowledged his favor. They were praising him. They were lifting him up. They were acknowledging him. They were giving thanks to him for what he had done for them. And they had favor with all the people, this outward horizontal dimension. As they themselves, as their lives were witnesses of God's grace, some of those who heard and watched, we find later, became believers as they watched what was going on here. They had favor with all the people. So that's what's going on on the outside. There's a lot of activity. There's a lot of enthusiasm. There is love. There's togetherness. There's fellowship. They're in the temple. They're in their homes. There's something, excuse me, something obviously going on that had not been going on before. But let's turn our attention now in this passage to see what is going on on the inside. What's happening on the inside? Well, we see that, uh, first of all, in verse 43... What's going on in their hearts? The first thing we see is there was awe. There was awe. The obvious work of God in their midst produced a reverential fear, a profound respect. As they saw what God was doing in their lives, they were in awe. They were in awe. Then down in verse 46... Luke says, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with what? Glad and generous hearts. Glad and generous hearts. Glad hearts. Their heart was glad. There was something going on on the inside that had not been going on before. There was an exuberant joy. There was a, a, a gratitude, a gladness uh, that was bubbling up within them. And they had generous hearts, Luke says. And depending on your translation, that word generous can, is sometimes translated sincerity. They were there, they met with gladness and sincerity. Or gladness and simplicity. You say, okay, well, what's the connection between generosity and simplicity and sincerity? The fact of the matter is, what the word really means is a simple benevolence. A simple benevolence. A simple benevolence. What does that mean? Well, if we're, I, well, I don't know about you. I'll just speak for me. If I'm in a situation where somebody has a need or a presumed need, I'm going to say my benevolence is not always so simple. My benevolence, all right, do you really need this? Are you trying to pull one over on me? Do I really have this? Do I want to give this up to, to give to you? And what would be the consequences? If I give this to you, what are you going to go and do with it? That's not a simple benevolence. That's a complicated benevolence. Luke says they had generous hearts. They had a sincerity, a simplicity, a simple benevolence with no hesitation, no selfish motives. As they sold their property to give to the needs, there was no, oh, I wish I didn't have to do that, but all right, you've got a need. No, there was this this love and concern, this simple benevolence that they were giving. There was a change of their heart that God had brought. I will tell you, as, as I was interacting with this passage over the last couple weeks, this is one area that just really struck me. Because I remember the early days of my walk with the Lord, the awe, the exuberance, the generosity. 
And sometimes I think I've become too smart for my own good. I've become too settled in who God is in my life for my own good. And sometimes have lost that sense of awe, lost that sense of gladness, lost that sense of simple generosity, and have made things more complicated than they should be. So that was no extra charge. I just wanted to throw that in. Uh, but that's where I've been challenged. It's one of the places I've been challenged on this this week to really come back. And I've been asking God. Actually, I was out on a bike ride yesterday uh, just to clear my head. And I just I asked God. I said, restore to me the awe. Restore to me the gladness. Restore to me the, the simple generosity that, that I think I used to have that I've sort of become too sophisticated for these days. Anyway. So we've looked at what's going on on the outside. We've looked at what's going on on the inside. Well, what is the source? Where is all of this coming from? And I think it's no accident that Luke bookends this section that we're looking at with two almost identical phrases. If you look in verse 41, he says, For those, or so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And then down in verse 47, the last part of that, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What's going on here? It's God's work that's going on here. This is not something that they manufactured. This is not something that they were doing. This is something that God was doing. As the gospel came and people believed, and we see that in verse 44, and all who believed were together. This wasn't for everybody. It was those who believed. As those people put their faith in Jesus, God was extending his favor. God was extending his grace. God brought the gospel to them and they believed. And the Spirit came to them and changed their lives because of their faith in Jesus. You see, God rescues those who are separated from him and living selfishly for themselves and he changes them into people who love him and live for those around him. And in the person of the Spirit, he comes to live in them, with them, and transforms them from the inside out. This is very important for us to understand because what they were doing on the outside and who they were becoming on the inside were rooted in what God was doing in their hearts and lives. This was not a man-made thing they were doing. What they were doing in devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers, the awe, the glad and generous hearts, this was not something they conjured up in themselves. This was a work of God in their lives. As the Spirit came and as they believed and as they put their trust in Him, God transformed them from the inside out. See, it's only God who can change a heart. It's only God who can change a life. It's only God who can give enthusiasm for things that would otherwise be non-existent or just a meaningless ritual. Only God can bring genuine awe and glad and generous hearts. It's only God who can give an hunger for his word. It's only God who can give an excitement for fellowship with his people, for participating with the breaking of bread and for gathering for prayer together. So I was reflecting this, again, I was remembering back to the early days. Uh, I, I still remember a time before I was a believer. Uh, I don't know what came into my mind to do this, but I, I thought I should read the Bible. Because, um, I mean, there were people who thought the Bible was important, and 
all right, I guess I should check it out and see what people are thinking about this. And so I did what you should do when you start a book. I started where? Started at the beginning to read a book. And I don't remember exactly, but I think I got somewhere around Genesis 6, 7, 8, and said, you know what? This is not doing a thing for me. I closed it, and that was it. I was done. Well, I became a believer at age 18. I put my faith in Jesus as my Lord and Savior and began living for him instead of myself. And I couldn't get enough of what was in here. The first few years I was a believer, I lost count of how many times I read this cover to cover, each time with excitement and learning new things and seeing new things about God and about the world. What had happened? Did I, just because I was a little older, a little more mature? No, because God had changed my heart that I would devote myself to the apostles' teaching. That was the Spirit's work. That was not my work. Also, when I was growing up, I went to church. I attended, I sat in a church building. We'll say it that way. I have to say it correctly. I sat in a church building. Uh, I went because that was just, it was a nice thing to do, but there was, there was no sense of, and I enjoyed it sometimes, and sometimes not. But there was no sense of family. There was no sense of togetherness. It was just something to do. But again, after I put my faith in Jesus, it's all, I almost couldn't get enough of God's people. I, I wanted to be together. I wanted to be in fellowship. I wanted to share together in the things that God was doing. There was a strong desire to be with God's people that did not exist before I became a believer. Again, those are things that only God can do. So what was happening on the outside? They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. What was happening on the inside? They were in great awe at what God was doing in their lives, and he was transforming them to give them glad and generous hearts. And what was the source of that? The source was the grace of God, that he was the one who was coming through the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit in their lives. He was the one that was adding to their number. He was the one that was changing their hearts. Well, let's bring this home to us today, if we can. Uh, if you notice the title, I don't know if you did or not, I, I spend probably more time than I should on trying to come up with nice titles to summarize what I'm saying. And I entitled this, And the Lord Added. My goal in the title was to focus on what was really going on here. I could have said, well, and they devoted. Well, the emphasis isn't on the they. The emphasis is on him. So it's the Lord who added. So that's why I picked that title. It's, it's God's work that had an effect in their lives. They were devoted to these things because of what God was doing. Well, there was another title we were tossing around, so I'm going to give you that one too. Uh, this one, and that's what I entitled this section, it's, it's called A Call to Community During COVID. A Call to Community During COVID. 2020, I don't think you need to tell me, I need you don't need me to tell you this. 2020 has been a very difficult year. Nothing has been easy, it seems. And it's not over yet. I'm sorry to tell you that. There's still a couple months left. It's not over yet. In addition to COVID-19, there is ongoing and unresolved racial injustice. There is a very divisive election season. There is huge economic stress. And who knows what's happening with going back to school it changes from day to day. 
yes, we're on, yes, we're off, no, we're going to do a hybrid, yes, we're going to do this. Things change on a daily basis. We are distracted and divided. We don't even agree on things like how to open up church, who to vote for, what to do with schools, and we're not able to be together like we want to. And even when we're together, we're apart. We're not even allowed to sit together. We're spread out in the building or we're watching from home. So even when we're together, we're apart. God calls us togetherness. COVID calls us to aloneness. God calls us to community. COVID calls us to isolation. God calls us to unity. COVID calls us to division. And instead of awe and gladness and generosity, there is a definite temptation towards fear and sadness and self-protection. 2020 has been a very difficult year and has challenged these very things that we hold important. Well, these brothers and sisters were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to the breaking of bread and devoted to the prayers. That word devoted means they, they gave intense effort. They were constantly diligent. They adhered too closely. They gave intense effort to the apostles' teaching. They were constantly diligent about their fellowship. They adhered too closely the sharing together and the breaking of bread. They devoted themselves to the prayers. And I believe one of the messages of this passage is that the critical importance of these things has not changed. We should look at them as our necessary food to grow in the grace of God and to receive the strength and nourishment we need to face these difficult times. I believe Luke is encouraging us to reflect on what it means to be devoted to these things. Laurel and I have had a friend, we're still in contact with his widow, his name was Tal, T-A-L, Tal McNutt. He was an evangelist, a traveling evangelist in the New England Northeast region, and we met him when he came for evangelistic meetings to our church in New Jersey. And uh, he liked to come to me as a medical doctor to try to come up with some analogies and things that he could use in his preaching. And uh, I enjoyed talking to him very much and respected him a lot. And one day he came up to me and he said, hey, Doc, what do you think? Do you think the Holy Spirit is like the digestive system? And I said, all right, Tal, you've gone off the deep end now. The Holy Spirit like the digestive system. But as I thought about it, I had to get back to him. I said, you know, Tal, I think you're right. I think the Holy Spirit is like the digestive system. So when we eat something, what happens to it? Well, the proteins are broken down into their component parts, the, you need to know that, the amino acids, the sugars are broken down into their component parts, and the fats are broken down into their component parts, and then what happens? This mysterious principle of life takes those things and sends them where they need to be. So the protein goes to the muscles, and the fats go to the brain, and the sugars go to the brain to keep it running, and you know, everything goes to where it needs to go to build up the body as well as to maintain it. Well, what is the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers? These are our necessary food. These are the things that God has given us 
that we can grow, that we can be maintained, that we can be nourished, that we can be strengthened. And what does the Holy Spirit do? There's no magic in sitting in these chairs, pews, seats. There's no magic in sitting here. But what is there? There is the Holy Spirit who's taking our fellowship together and breaking it down into its component parts and giving to each of us what we need. Each of us are going to hear something a little different from the apostles' teaching this morning. Every one of us is going to get a little something different out of the fellowship, the time we spend together. Every one of us is going to get a little something different out of when we meet together in our homes or when we share in the breaking of bread together. Every one of us is going to get a little something different out of the prayers. What is happening? The Holy Spirit is that digestive system, breaking down these things into their component parts and sending them to, the, to God's body where they need to be to maintain us and help us to grow. The critical importance of these things has not changed. We need to look at them as our necessary food to grow in the grace of God. Then we can rightly ask, what are we devoted to during this quarantine? What are we devoted to? I've asked myself that question. Am I devoted to Netflix? The YouTube black hole? Online shopping? The endless cycle of election news? Am I devoted to isolation and self-protection? How about cooking? I don't know if you saw the Parade Magazine for this week. Front cover, Parade Magazine on, on the Sunday paper. Martha Stewart, Keys to Surviving the COVID. Right, so it's this, it's this week's celebrity's advice on how to survive COVID. And then part of the article is, what a better time than to bake a cake than now. Of course, thank you, Martha Stewart. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with cake. It's people like her that's probably responsible for the, the yeast shortage that occurred very early in the epidemic as everybody got together and said, oh, we've got to make yeast breads now because we have all this time together. What are we devoted to during this quarantine? What, what things are we focusing on? Are we devoted to those things that God calls us to ask? Or are we devoted to things that are lesser things? Again, nothing wrong with a good cake or a good loaf of bread, but there are bigger things. And then we rightly ask, then how do we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers, when we can't do things like we've always done them? How do we do it when we can't do it like we've always done? Well, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer when it comes to thinking creatively, but you're sensible people. I believe God would challenge us to think creatively how to do those things that God has called us to. How do we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching as presented at our local church, being sure to meet together here or at home on Sunday mornings, personal times of reading the Bible, gathering in smaller groups to read the Bible, talk about it, to encourage one another by it. How do we devote ourselves to the fellowship? Call people to pray with them, drive by cookie drops, drive by meal drops, one church encourages their people to ask three questions, to call up one another and ask three questions. Are you doing okay physically and materially? Are you emotionally connected? And are you loving and serving? It's caring for one another. It's reaching out to one another. How do we devote ourselves to the breaking of bread, to the Lord's table? Are we part of that when our church celebrates the Lord's table? Are we devoting ourselves to that? And what about the breaking of bread together in our meals can we figure out how to eat together when we can't eat together? Can we go to a restaurant and sit in our cars next to each other? Can we figure out ways to 
eat together at a distance? And how do we devote ourselves to the prayers? Calling one another, praying for one another, organizing prayer times, being part of whatever prayer life is going on in the church. Because of these challenging times, and as I went through this passage, I was reminded of something I first heard a few years ago, and I think it's relevant for our COVID challenges today. Vice Admiral James Stockdale was a Navy pilot who saw action during the Vietnam War. On September 9th, 1965, his plane was shot down over North Vietnam. He spent the next seven and a half years as a prisoner of war in a camp that the Americans named the Hanoi Hilton. There he endured much mistreatment and torture before finally being rescued in 1973. Not every prisoner that was there survived the camp. When asked who it was that did not make it out of the camp, he said this, quote, oh, that's easy. The optimists, that is the optimists did not make it out of the camp. They were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas. And Christmas would come and Christmas would go. Then they'd say, we're going to be out by Easter. And Easter would come and Easter would go. And then Thanksgiving. And then it would be Christmas again. And they died of a broken heart. This is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. You must, and that's his quote, you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. Those who accepted the harsh reality, those he called the pessimists, those who accepted the harsh reality of their situation and settled in for the long haul with no hope of immediate rescue, while keeping their faith in their eventual rescue, were the ones who were most likely to survive. How many of us, when this thing first started, said, so I just need to tread water. We just need to get through this. The shutdown's going to be two weeks, four weeks, six weeks. We'll get out of this. Well, that's not going to work. That's the optimistic approach. It's not going to work. We need to settle in for the long haul. The COVID epidemic and other challenges like social upheaval are with us and are here to stay for the foreseeable future. Those are the, in his words, the brutal facts of our reality. And so our most important question in the midst of this reality are not what should we be doing or how are we to do it, but who is God? And who are we and our, what is our eternal destiny? And so what we've been studying Acts so far gives us two keys to surviving or even thriving during these challenging times. I believe that our study in Acts gives us two keys to surviving and even thriving during these challenging times. First of all, go back. Go back to the source. Remind ourselves of and meditate on the gospel. Remember God's love for us. Remember the truth of his word and the power of the spirit who lives in us. There is nothing that can separate us from God's love. There is nothing that can separate us from God's love. 
not only do we need to look back, we need to look ahead. We need to remind ourselves that our lives are wrapped up in God's bigger story that cannot fail. There is nothing that can happen to us that will ruin God's plan. There is nothing that is going to prevent our team from winning. There is nothing that's going to keep us from getting safely home. So, a call to community during COVID. Let's settle in for the long haul, realizing that it will be difficult and it will require us to change. But God's call to community has not changed. Let us seek him to learn how to live by faith in what he has called us to do. And let's realize what Jesus told Peter just a year or, before, year or two before this happened. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God's plan will not fail. It cannot fail. And God would ask us to see how we can be a part of that, to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers, and how by his grace we can restore a sense of awe and gladness and generosity in our midst, even in the midst of the restrictions that are placed upon us. God's plan will not fail. It cannot fail. His church will go forward. Amen. I would like to just close this portion just in some prayer. Father, I want to thank you for your great mercy toward us, including leaving us your word to guide us into knowing who you are, to know what it is that you have done and are doing and will do and how you would have us live. I ask that you would take the truth of this passage and drive it deep into our hearts in a life-changing way. May we be assured of your great grace towards us. May we have hearts with renewed awe, gladness, and generosity. May we learn how to attend to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers during these challenging times. May we praise you with our lives, and may you grant us favor with those around us that many more would come to know you. What I'd like to ask you to do now is just spend a few moments in silent reflection before we end our time together. Let's spend a few moments reflecting on what God has stirred within you. Perhaps a change in your understanding of who God is. Perhaps a change in the attitude of a heart or mind. Or perhaps some action you feel prompted to take in response to this. Just spend, let's spend a few moments together in silent reflection. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would seal these things in our hearts and lives that you're bringing to our attention according to the truth of your word, by the power of your spirit, 
through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. May you help us to grow, to be sustained and nourished as individuals, as families, and as the family of God. In Jesus' name, amen.